You are now tuned into Reppin' Sessions Podcast. Exclusive interviews with White Oak Roughneck Legends. Follow on Instagram and Facebook. Reppin' the Roughnecks. Reppin' Sessions Podcast. We have a legendary one here. Drove all the way to White Oak from uh, Wills Point for this one. Coach Cotton Miles. Thank you for making the drive, Cotton, and being here for this one. Me and James really appreciate it. I'm very excited to have you here. I know in the first episode, I'm going to get straight to it, Cotton. Um, The first episode we had you on here, I kind of towards the end of it, we were talking and I asked about, you know, obviously your your records in White Oak and if you ever had a bad season and if there was ever a chance or if there was ever a time in town where somebody wanted your job. (laughs) <laughs> and you told me you went five and five that year, and you had a gentleman knocking door to door, right? Wanting, sure wanting you out of here. You got into the story of uh, the late Naverny, how you kind of uh, got on the boat with him, squashed y'all's beef, and he became your biggest fan. Uh, you talked about how he was a huge supporter of the Roughnecks. Um, everybody in town could hear him yell, "Roll, Roughnecks, roll." That's true. First episode I'd ever I'd ever did, and at the time it was just me. James was the first person to comment on the podcast, and in the comment he said his jaw was dropped because he knew exactly who you were talking about, <laughs> which was his daddy. <laughs> so since then, I just want you to know, me and James have become really good friends. We talk every day. Uh, he's now the co-host to the podcast with me, and it all started because of your first ever podcast with me and you getting into those stories. So Stuff I didn't know nothing about, because all I've ever heard about Cotton Miles was when he wanted me to do something. Well, now, you know, Cotton said you ought to do this and you ought to do that when I was growing up, and that's, that's, I never never heard a, heard a bad word about Cotton Miles. But uh, um, he... Uh, I, I was really, I was in Melissa, Texas, helping keep my grandson, my daughter was out of town, and I was upstairs, and they're upstairs by myself, and then when I started hearing about a hardware store, and no, you didn't have a hardware store, but when I started hearing about moving those refrigerators around, and then the late Diverney, I said, oh, hell, he's talking about daddy done now, and then I thought, mother never said anything, daddy never said nothing about it, and it, it just tickled me. And then I was, it was interesting because they couldn't, I kept hearing Scotty and Cotton say, Roar, 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 and they couldn't think of his last <laughs> name. And then, uh, and then I, I sent you that message about it, and, and we went on from there. But, uh, yes, Daddy loved Cotton. In fact, uh, we, two years, he, when he had his first, I think, playoff team, and they were playing at P.C. Cobb Stadium against Kimball. About that time, we were sitting up there, and I think the first time Woodrow Wilson got the ball, it was, home cotton, turn loose, liberal! About that time, this man turns and grins and smiles and points, and then he turned back, went to his coaching. But, uh, <laughs> you remember that? That's yeah, coming up sure, right I remember it. <laughs> I had. Do we want to go on the Red Low Ramps or what do we want to do? Whatever. We'll jump into it. Let's get okay. after it. I, Jerry, when he was here, I had, there was an assistant coach that had worked 
all throughout East Texas. He started coaching in the mid-60s. He told me that uh, Red Lorenz would, now look at him, he's already grinning and laughing. When, he, when the ball game was over, he would try to shake hands with, with the opposing coach and try to squeeze his hand real good. Yeah, he tried that. Right. Listen, I'm going to tell you my my response to this guy was, I know one one coach that that son of a bitch didn't squeeze <laughs> Cotton Miles. He didn't squeeze your hand, did he, Cotton? <laughs> well, I was, I was sort of forewarned. Well, yeah, that's right. Uh, Robert Lawrence is dead and gone now. And uh, I know we're supposed to love our neighbor, but uh, I found it pretty hard to ever find anything about him that I ought to. Heck, because he's dead and gone now. He was a great competitor, I will say. Yeah, that. he had good ball teams. Yeah, and he would compete. But of course, what did you do? Did you just maneuver your hand where he couldn't <laughs> couldn't squeeze it? Uh, yeah, for more or less. Bob Perry told Jerry that that he had one of the strongest hands that he had ever, you know. Oh ever had. yeah, he could, especially if he had a ring on that hand. <laughs> he, he, he could make it a punishment. Then Jerry said. And I'm sure you had left and gone to Woodrow. They were playing up at Hawkins in basketball. And I don't know where Mr. Handicap was. He was probably, might have not come out yet, but Roy and Jerry were out there. And, and Lawrence came out on the floor and they headed towards him. Uh -huh. They were going to give it to him. You, you never, never have heard this? No. They were going to give it to him. And Beatty Marshall happened to be standing there and he went, like that, and they backed off. Yeah, he said him and Roy were. They were ready. They were, they they were, were ready go, to get even. They with were going to go get him. <laughs> he said they had many talks about going over there and finding where he lived. They were not happy about that. Well, he was hard to get along with. He he thought he was doing all the good for himself and for his team. He mm -hmm. thought he was would try to win by doing that. Yeah. Did he ever beat White Oak in his coaching career? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. uh, Jerry said the next year in 59 that him and Roy came back down here and that they beat White Oak 12 to 8. I don't I know. He, never no, beat he didn't beat this guy. No, he never beat Cotton. And then, and then uh, after that, they were, they were in class, what we call class B back then most of the 1960s. They went up to Class A in 68 and 69. Yeah. We beat them 52 nothing and 42 nothing. Mm. Now they, you know, but they were a powerhouse in Class B. <laughs> Red little rats. Well, that's over with. When we talked to Jerry, um, and I will replay this for you, I asked him, uh, you know, what it was like playing with you, what it was you being his head coach, and if there's anything you could say to him. And uh, I'll let you listen to it, but he did mention that uh, there wasn't a, an, another coach out there he'd rather play for than Coach Cotton Miles. Uh Jerry Davis. <laughs> Jerry was an only child, 
and his daddy bought would buy a new car every other year. And Jerry, <laughs> some of the boys would get up here and race. And Jerry won all those years. One year he got a new Ford and he won that race every week. <laughs> <laughs> Until I found out about it and we discontinued the racing. Reppin' Sessions Podcast, Episode 5, Part 2 with Coach Cotton Miles is brought to you by Castanone Enterprises. Specializing in commercial real estate at first, then shifted over to affordable housing, new construction homes after they saw the need in East Texas, Castanone Enterprises specializes in new home construction and remodels. Castanone Enterprises has been in business for over 30 years, working their way to owner financing properties for buyers who couldn't qualify for lending, to owning multiple multifamily units in the East Texas area. Castanone Enterprises prides themselves in no cookie cutter homes. Castanone Enterprises proudly supports Reppin Sessions podcast. Contact them at 903-736-7460 and let them know Reppin sent you. You know, I don't want it to sound like I'm bragging. It, it, it's not, that's not what I'm trying to do here. But last week I had a quite a party and it was mostly my 64 and 65 uh, team from Woodrow Wilson. And that was a great time. Woodrow is the smallest school in Dallas, uh, next to North Dallas. North Dallas is smaller. And we won the city championship there seven years out of, out of ten and made it a good showing in the pro, in the playoffs. So my six, uh, 65 team in particular had five preachers. Five of them become preachers. They were good kids wow. and good students and good athletes. <laughs> and we went to the semifinals that year, I think. Uh, Wichita Falls beat us right at the end of the game by a little bit. But those, those kids were, were good. They'd already done a lot of things for me. And I had to say it's, it's one of the best years or two years I ever had any place. Now, I love White Oak, you understand? But those kids up there really matched them for a couple of years. They, they dedicated the annual to me. They have named a scholarship in my name. I mean a huge one, too. It's big enough to help a lot of people. <laughs> And uh, so they got together just that one, two classes last week, and we had a 79th birthday party. And in that group, several of them have written in my book that they would be in the penitentiary had it not been for high-influence athletics. And uh, they remind me so much of, of the players here. They would have done the same thing. Well, you, you were such an influence after you left because yeah. all of us watched. We were young when you left, and all of us wanted to play for you. And we carried that with us on throughout, you know. When <laughs> well, that's very flattering. We, when we were growing up, you know, we everybody thought about you and talked about you and about the ones that had played, you know, back in 57 and 58. 
because we were little then, but you know, I was little, but I remembered when you left. I remembered when the van pulled up. I remember y'all even had a little old white dog, too. <laughs> did. James got a memory. Everybody gets on me about my memory. And, um, you know, I just remember, you know, I remember all the times you came down to Lake Tavernia and fished and all the times y'all had and everything. Well, I, I'd say the two, they were in the middle of the 60s. I had two years that would come close. But when I was here, I said, I was a beginner. I was a young fellow. I was head coach here by the time I was 24 years old. You don't, don't see that anymore. No. Didn't see it then. James has mentioned it a couple of times. And um, I wanted to ask you, if you would not have been disqualified in 58 and y'all had won a state title, do you think you would have left White Oak? <laughs> Well, I, that's a hard question. That's one of those iffies. And I, all sooner or later I would because I wanted, I got reached the point I wanted to test my ability against the top people in Texas. The only way I could test, well, in fact, uh, when I talked to Mr. Cobb about our schedule the first year, the athletic director in Dallas pretty much made the schedule for us. But he would ask me, who do you want to play? I said, the best in Texas. Mm. I remember very well our conversation. I said, if you're going to be the best, you got to play the best. So give me the best. And then <laughs> while I was there, I played Longview, Texarkana, mm -hmm. Wichita Falls, Odessa Permian, Amarillo. Tascosa. <laughs> Tascosa, I played there. Yeah. And the one I I was been particularly proud of is we played Brownwood. Gordon Wood was yeah. coaching there and beat the shit out of us <laughs> <laughs> in Brownwood. Now I'm proud of that. We so you never you never scheduled cupcake teams then, huh? Nobody that would work. No no competition. Because <laughs> 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 you know we get a lot of that now. I'll be honest with you, our our schedule. I mean, there's a lot of. People look at the first couple of games and think, hey, I mean, those are some cupcake schedules to put a W on the board, so. Yeah. Oh, I, I threw Garland, Garland and Waco in there. We played them both right after that one day one station. Yeah. I played the best in Texas. So, uh, so you mentioned your seven out of ten years you made it to the city championship. Is what Was that what you? We won it. So, uh, so one of the three years I heard a quarterback – on the team you played was the gentleman in the other room. Is that true as well? That you played your son in the city championship? Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. Played Jerry mentioned that to us, and I didn't know that. I thought yeah. that was pretty cool. Y'all didn't didn't y'all play and tie the first time, and then yeah, we played tied the, the first time. We played twice, and we tied the first game. The second game they won twenty seventeen. I never will forget. Uh, we were we were laughing down here at Dallas. Paper comes out. Here's a picture of. Uh, uh, Miss Miles standing between both of them and everything on the couch, and she's looking at both of them and everything. <laughs> well, we we played. She wasn't going to go. She says, I'm not going to the game to watch it. We're going to play at Cobb Stadium. It's already a sellout, 20, over 20,000 people there. And uh, Mr. Bushman was athletic director. Then he called her and says, Miss Miles, we would like for you to be on the television at halftime. This was, I can't even tell about it. 
She says, Mr. Bushman, I didn't plan to go. He says, oh yeah, I'll send the car out there to pick you up. <laughs> so he sent a cab out there to pick her up. And she went to the game, but I think she stayed in under the stands most of the time. <laughs> when uh, Scotty got in the playoffs, what did you do? Did you just sit up there in the stands and be a regular went, daddy? I went to the press box and talked to their coaches. And <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it was a it was a good ride. Now, I know this is one question he hasn't asked you. I know you didn't have any trouble with integration, and you know why? Because of the human being you are, and you grew <laughs> you grew up poor, and most of those kids were poor. Yeah, I, and the first year we integrated in Dallas, I had a fullback that weighed 215 pounds. A black boy that was a good player. He later went to, went to he wasn't a very good student. But with their background, uh, it would have been difficult to Is that the one that went to TJC, Tyler Junior College? So he went to Tyler Junior College. Yeah, I watched him play. He was a good ball player. Oh, was he a good ball player? He went on to A&M and played two years, and then eight years he played in the Canadian League. Mm. He was drafted by the Chicago Bears. And uh, he <laughs> gave the ball to John Paul. That was I our tried. battle cry. <laughs> <laughs> John oh, McCurley. Yeah, he was a big old boy. I, like I say, I, I go watch Kilgore and, and Tyler play. And, he was a big old boy. Oh yeah, he was a good one. His brother was bigger than he was. His brother weighed about 235. You had him too, I guess. I'll tell you a good story about that. I don't know where you want to hear this. <laughs> yeah, we want to hear it, absolutely. But when we integrated in Dallas after the first week, somebody came down to the, to the gym one day and told me there's a lady up at the office that wants to talk to you. Damn, who could it be? <laughs> I said, okay, I'll be right there. So I went up there and it was Miss Houston. Her name was Houston. Mm -hmm. She had these two boys, Donald Ray and John Paul. They to transfer, they was going to integrate. This is 1967. And uh, I says, yes, ma'am, I'm the football coach and I'm sure glad to have I went over it. I'm glad to have them. We give them every chance to be a player, and me. She says, "Miss Smile says, Coach, I just want to ask one thing. I'm sending my boys up here to get an education, and if they get out of line, you have my permission to tear their ass up. <laughs> <laughs> and when they get home, I'm going to tear their ass up. <laughs> I said, well, Miss Houston, we're going to get along fine. I'll just try to do that. Well, I never had any trouble with those boys. I bet you did. <laughs> trouble with them. However, the other boy, Don Rain, went to Tennessee, A&I, or A&T, whatever yeah. they have in Tennessee. But he went up there and was a starter. was a good player for them, and he got killed in the car wreck. Mm. But to John Paul, after he played that long time in the Canadian League, 
he come back and went to went to work for the Dallas Public School. He didn't have a degree and he wasn't a teacher. Did y'all stay in contact after all those years? And oh, I I really haven't seen him, but one time I hear from him occasionally. But I won't see him. I saw him up at Woodrow Banquet, and I got to talk with he and and uh, the Eisner Trophy winner from Woodrow. Brown. Brown. Yeah. Wow. So we had a long conversation, three of us. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. So Jerry, uh, I'm going to go back to Jerry because I thought this story was really funny, what he talked about. he was he, We obviously got a lot of Roy Bruce stories yeah. out of him because they were close friends growing up. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I mean, just some really funny stuff he said. And, uh, Talk about when they came by to visit. Yeah, he said, he said, he said um, him and Roy had to go to TCU. And you mentioned it, Roy was not a good student. Jerry said he hated school. He was all about having fun. And he said they had to go to TCU to, uh, I think, did Roy have to take a test? or Yeah. He had to take some test because his grades were so bad in high school that in order to get in, he had to take a test or whatever. But they said that they put him on, uh, I guess it was like an academic Scholastic program. probation. Yeah, probation. And, yeah. he's, and he said Roy was just so confused. Had no they, they thought he was getting put in jail because of, you know, probation. And he said they came over to your house afterwards. Sure did. And he told you about it. And uh, Jerry said you thought it was funny and just <laughs> laughing at Roy about it. Yeah. We had some funny things. My wife was a favorite of all of them, all the players, too. I'll tell you another story about her in a minute. But Roy <laughs> didn't know what that probation was. So he came all the way to my house, drove all the way to say, what is probation? <laughs> he says, if they're going to put me in jail, I'm not going back. Everybody's on probation, so to speak. If, re- if the other starters mm-hmm. plucked out of school, they couldn't play. That's right. They on probation. They just know that they're going to make it. All they want you to do is pass your work and you get to play. <laughs> well, that's all I want to know. And he went back and then got on, made it till Christmas and got, got killed in the car wreck. Yeah. <laughs> we had, well, well, i tell you what my wife, my wife player so liked her. She Miss Lou was Mama Lou. <laughs> we had at Woodrow, uh, at the end of our workout field was a big, great, big uh, wellness tree. And it created a good shade and this time of the year when we worked out, mm-hmm. when we had a break, we went and got under that shade mm-hmm. that willow tree and drank water. And my wife thought, well, they, they need more than that. One evening I was working out in the middle of workout, and I looked up there and I saw a, tr- a car sitting in that shade. And I said, whoa, that won't do. Hold it just a minute, boys. I'm going to go move that car. <laughs> I went up there and my wife, she had 10 gallons of lemonade. So I blew the whistle and let them all come down and get under the shade of that, that big old tree and drink that lemonade. So they thought she was something special. <laughs> yeah. The year after we won state, I know he played tough ball teams. He played New London the first game. He uh-huh. was wide open, beat him. I think it was 18 to 8. 
And so, no, you know, New London was always tough. It, it, oh, yeah. it didn't New matter. Was tough. They were they were just a facsimile of White Oak because they were all filled town and and you know and everybody was tough. I mean, uh, it was always you. It wasn't ever a, a bad blowout. Nobody beat anybody bad. <laughs> it was always a tough ball ball game. And uh, you know. I know, and then when they became West Russ, they were tough for about 10 years, and then the air kind of got let out of the balloon. Yeah. That's to say, we, uh, I know my senior year, we beat them 22 to 19 down there. We looked for the last year or two I was here, we started to get our non-conference schedule, and we'd take them out and put it down here draw a circle 100 miles around, 100 miles every, and we tried every school in there. Really? And they, they didn't want to play us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had a real question about Terrell. Terrell was good then. They won two state championships in, in the 50s. And boy, thank goodness they were 101 miles away. We didn't ever miss each other. <laughs> you wanted to play them home and home? Yeah, I would have anybody. I know you would have. Because all you had to do was go up Highway 80. What, call, what caused the biggest stir? Bus, Buster Hale was a sports writer in all of you. And he was so right for us. Right. <laughs> we got a lot of good publicity. And we wanted to play Longview. And of course, they wasn't even listening. They wasn't even about to play us. And, and they wouldn't play. But they did agree to sketch. We scrimmaged them one day. We went over there and scrimmaged. What was Longview? What was their cla classification? They were 4A. 4A was the biggest at that until they changed it. But they didn't want to scrimmage us. Not even a scrimmage? No, we but we did scrimmage, but it didn't last long. Who were some of your boys that, that you carried over with you to scrimmage? Can you remember? Well, yeah, we scrimmage. We, we had Max then. Oh, okay. And Max, they couldn't handle Max. But hell, everybody in the United States can handle that. Max, Max. Max was a favorite of my, of my wife, and he liked her because Max went his last three years in high school here. His mother was in TB Sanitarium, and the older boys had already two of them had gone to Notre Dame, right? And I don't know, the other one was already coaching down around Austin somewhere. Well, <laughs> Max. Uh, Maxie boy, a uh, lot afternoon my wife would just put an extra dip of beans in the pot. And he ate at my table a lot in, uh, after practice. And he liked those beans. Yeah. <laughs> he liked anything that's cooked up, sure. And then I bet he came by every time Green Bay played in Dallas to see you too. Oh, he come by, he come back one summer and he, he says, I want to see Ms. Miles. Well, our school wasn't quite that. I said, I'll be, I'll be out of school this afternoon in 30 minutes or something. Well, 
Are you going home? I said, yeah, we'll go to my house. I was leading up on top of the hill. Then. So Max went with me. And we got up there and, and we talked a little bit about Green Bay. Just idle talk. And every little bit, Max would go through a gyration about like that. And after about the fourth time, she said, she, my wife said, Max, are you, uh, do you have an ailment? He said, oh, no. I'm going up to the draft board, and I'm just practicing. <laughs> <laughs> but they took him. Yeah, he went in the Air Force. Yeah. And flew, he flew, we're fighting player. And he got back, he went back to the Green Bay. <laughs> before his senior year, did y'all know he was special? I mean, did you, everything and more before going into his senior year? It didn't was, take did he long to find out. It didn't take long? Did, so was, was there a lot of hype with him going I, into his senior year? No, he didn't have a lot of publicity. In fact, when uh, Southern Methodist coach come down to see him, he came to the house and said, would you go with me to talk to Max? I said, sure, I'll go with you. So we got in his Cadillac, and I was living up on top of the hill, and, and we drove Max to living right up here. Short, this is he and his daddy, and they had a bunch of chatterberry trees there. <laughs> so I went with Matty Bell, went up to see him. Well, he parked, of course, he didn't have air conditioning. And so he parked that Cadillac out front under a China Bay tree and opened all four doors. And here come Max around the back smoking cigarettes. <laughs> so we come, Betty sat over there under the driver's wheel, Max sat in the front seat. I got in the back seat so they could talk. <laughs> and that, they talked a few minutes to Max says, oh, you're wasting your time. I'm not going to SMU. So, you know, he was carrying this conversation any further. And that was it. He got out of the car and went to the house, didn't no shirt on. Max was quite a boy. That's my first year as coach, yeah. He looked a lot older than I did. He's shaving every day then, I shave once a week. <laughs> I tell you what, what we did, it was illegal. Mm -hmm. And nobody ever knew it. But I was playing semi-pro baseball. See, I played in the only Sexes League, minor league baseball the year before. And uh, Gilmer says, we'll give you $15 a game to play for us, and we'll guarantee you five games a week. Hell, that's $75 a week, tax-free money. That's a lot of money. And they would pay us a hat every time you hit a home run. I didn't run. But occasionally I'd hit one occasionally. Not not many. But they'd pay us that hat, just like Sunday morning church. And then, I, so I was getting along good. <laughs> and uh, we run out of a third baseman up there at Gilmer. And playing with Gilmer and uh, he says, do you have another, do you know of anybody? I says, I've got a kid down in school I'll bring up here. <laughs> he can play third base. So I carried Max and he played with us a while. With you? Yeah. <laughs> and they had no idea he was in high school? 
Oh yeah, they knew. <laughs> speaking speaking of Gilmer, uh, Cottonley, <laughs> tell us about the night the lights went out. Yeah, I, that's a good story. I don't know if you've heard. You hadn't heard that. I haven't heard that. I would love to hear this one. All right, we played for the district championship. We was right down to the last game of the district championship. We was playing here in White Oak. Well, the game got going, and right at the end, this is for the championship now. Right at the end of the game, we was ahead of them by 20 to 19. And so they got on drive right at the end of the game and drove right down to our one-yard line. And then they went in the last minute of the game. They lined up, a field goal would have won the district championship for them. Mm -hmm. So they lined up for that field goal, and just as they snapped the ball, half the lights went out. Oh, all the lights went out. The lights went out and stayed in. Well, they wanted to kick it over. They wanted another play. I says, hell no, we don't, we're not in this kick till you win. <laughs> he kicked, he missed it. So yeah. the game's over. Well, the official signal that. Boy, I've hustled back by the end of the stands and coming back to the dressing room, which is way up on the hill. Boy, and this lady hollered up right there. Oh, she could hear her above everybody else. She says, Cotton Miles, you son of a bitch. If you was my husband, I'd give you poison. I took about two steps and I happened to think about it. I had on a cowboy hat. I tipped my hat inside and said, and lady, if I was your husband, I'd take it. And she really got mad. <laughs> <laughs> to, to preface everything, the stadium was new, right? Yeah. This, this one down here where we yeah. play now. Oh it yeah, that's the first year we played there. Yeah. And, wow. and all the bugs well, evidently weren't out of it yet. And that happened. So, And the um, first time, White Oak and Gilmer played several years ago. Uh -huh. I brought that up. One of my cousins got to asking me about that, about what happened the night that the lights went out. And I said, well, I wasn't born that night. That's right, I wasn't. Mm -hmm. I wasn't here. But uh, yeah, I've heard, I've heard that story over and over about that. Uh, I know one thing, when I go Gilmer, when I go through Gilmer and uh, Many old, I roll my windows up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But that's part of White Oak in that time. The only thing they had here was a school and a Baptist church. They'd throw them out once in a while, wouldn't they? Sure would. When I came, I went to the superintendent was named Dana Williams. He is the best we ever had. Dana was a good guy. I says, Mr. Williams, my wife and I planned to go to church, but uh, all the church I see is this Baptist over here. Is there another one in White Oak anywhere? He says, let me tell you, <laughs> they stay in uproar over here a lot. They, they have a hard time agreeing on the same thing. He says, my wife and I are Baptists, so we're going to Gladeward to the Methodist Church. I said, you just answered my question. <laughs> We're going to do the same thing. So we've been now members of the Baptist Church for 55 years. That was the only, only church here, and they were very active. So, so we went to...
Well, Pine Tree was a real uh, point for us in those days. We played the game over there for one night, and uh, <laughs> they got to fighting on the sideline, and our players called timeouts to watch the fight. <laughs> you remember this, don't you? I was. Started, it started on the field, the players were fighting, and then the fans started fighting. Then they had an old wire fence uh, down both slides, and the crowd, biggest part of them, would go walk up and down, all the men would walk up and down that fence. Hmm. Well, we had a guy that carried a chain for us every, every time we played, uh, he carried a chain. Well, this fight got started on the field, and he, he was carrying the chain, and he hollered at him. And so one of the players come over and cut him with a knife. A player? Oh, it's a, uh, uh, this man is carrying the chain. You talking about Mandy? Huh? You talking about Mandy? Was that who was carrying the chain? No, it's Mr. Lil right up here. Oh, he passed away a long time ago. Hmm. I'll think of his name, man. And one, one, <laughs> the players that were carrying the chain is one over, run over, and, and they threw this guy over the fence, and as they threw him over the fence, they cut him, <clears throat> cut him here. Boy, and his little intros were showing. And then when they threw him over the fence, he hit right at my feet. And I looked down there, there was a man laying there cut wide open with his guts hanging. Jeez. When I was junior college, we played a game up at Sherman. I don't remember the name of that junior college. But there's a guy up there who was then weighed about three, 350. Next time I saw our old Martin boy, we said, <laughs> And I was stationed at Guantanamo, Cuba, in the Navy. And a little old ship came in there. I think it was USS Dallas, but I don't, I'm not sure about that. ship came in, and old Chapman was on that ship. And by then, he weighed over 400 pounds. And he couldn't get up and down the, uh, the hole into the ship, and they transferred him all. They transferred him off. The next thing I saw him, he was <laughs> umpired in an old East Texas League, and he weighed 500 pounds. Oh gosh, jeez! But we we, we used to, used to in that minor league baseball. In order to get a good crowd, the first everybody come in town would play two or three games, and if you could have something the first night to make people want to come to the game, that's the way to have a good crowd. Well, Chapman. He'd put that old mask on, he, he, he didn't halfway cover his belly. And he'd, he'd want somebody, he said, somebody run up here and run into me. So I says, I'll just hit him with that, with that mask, oh. knock him down, and throw him out of the game. And the next night, there'd be the biggest crowd you ever saw here waiting to see what's going to happen. <laughs> and then that was Chapman. Well, it was my time to run into it. <laughs> we played in Longview. And sure enough, the next time I, I mean, there was a standing room crowd only 
to put their face on, so forth. Well, how many times did you take White Oak to regional in baseball? Every year. Every year? Yeah. Every year it was there. And of course, back then, that's as far as they could go, was regional. The only time we lost was when I played John Tower in, in Tyler. But they were, John Tyler, <laughs> a little bit, a little bit too much for me. Now when Marvin pitched with they just beat us four to one. But the next Marvin day I run out of pitchers. You talking about Marvin King? Yeah, Marvin King. I heard he was a, he was left-handed, wasn't he? Yeah. I heard he was a real good pitcher. Oh, he was a good one. They play anybody. They played Longview too. But John Tyler was the best best team in the country then. I say there you go. God playing the best team find in baseball and the best team find in football. <laughs> I was lucky in some ways. Now when I was at Stephen F. Austin, I was also on the B team in basketball. They got to play a little. They lettered everybody, so I lettered basketball. And when track season come around, Mr. Shelton come by one day to a PE class. They said, if I could just get two more points, we'd win the Lone Star Conference and track. He says, I just need two more points. We know what we're going to win. I says, what can I do for you, Mr. Shelton? He said, can you throw the discus? I said, sure. Hmm. I'll learn tomorrow. <laughs> and so I went to Houston to strike me with him and played six in the, in the district. Got two points. We won the conference and I lettered in four scores. Golly. Awesome. Last one to do that is Stephen F. Austin, I imagine. Hmm. Probably. <laughs> So our next topic, we've talked to Jerry about this. Me and um, James are pushing this really hard. We I had, wait a minute. I, okay. had, I had one more thing I wanted to tell Todd about. You was talking about that man who said, fire that, fire that man. Yeah. Okay, well that very same man in 1960, in the winter of 1968, told the head football coach at White Oak at that time, he had, a, he had probably one of the best groups of boys. Scotty would have been a senior that year. Oh. He, had, he had one of the best talented teams, just overall talented. The, the, line, the line averaged way over 200 pounds. And he got them all, they all got hurt. Two or three of them had to have knee surgeries. So that man you said that said fire that son of a bitch, he called this coach and he said, "You need to resign." And he says, uh, "No, I'm I'm not going to resign." He says, "You better resign because if you don't, they're going to fire you." Hmm. <laughs> Guess what happened to him? Who was that? You remember? Who 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 was the man that told him that? Well, who was the coach? Bobby Williams. Oh, I don't, I don't know him. Yeah, you didn't know him. He wasn't here for two years. And he's the one that went 0-10? No, no. Oh. He went 6-4 and four and 6-4. and four, But he got fired. 6-4 and four and they wanted him gone, huh? Yeah. Daddy, <laughs> Daddy, told, Daddy told him. 
in January, you're going to get fired. It going to resign. You save yourself. He wouldn't listen, and they fired him. One man was going to run for the school board to try to get him back on. Anyway, he went over to Wascom for a while. Then he ended up up at Wilma Hutchins, and he did have a winning uh, record there. I think he got beat by Mount Pleasant in the playoffs. Uh -huh. And then he went on to be principal or superintendent at Wilma Hutchins. I can't remember, but they had a lot of. He had a lot of trouble a little bit later on. But yeah, Daddy tried to get him uh, to uh, to resign. So six and four didn't cut it back then, huh? Well, or is that, or they didn't like the guy, or what do you think? It there was? was some, there were some problems. <laughs> that, let's well, put it this way: there was some language used more than damn and hell in the dressing room. Okay. Uh, now go ahead. I know what you were going to ask, Cotton, but go ahead and ask him. Okay. So me and James, obviously, we're um, huge history man. Walking encyclopedia of White Oak. Obviously, me doing all this, learning the history of White Oak, hearing all the stories of Roy Bruce, um, still leads White Oak in the all-time rushing record. We have a plan, and we want to get his number retired. 22 has not been retired in White Oak yet. Oh, really? Yes, sir. Uh, James said after Roy died, nobody wore the number for many years. Years. Years, years. 15 or 20 didn't wear it. Um, in the last probably 10 years, you've seen the number recirculate, and even probably longer than that, um, you've seen 22. Yeah. And um, Freddie, Freddie Sutton stopped me about five or six years ago, and he said, hey, come here, I want to talk to you. He says, I thought Roy Bruce's number was retired. I said, well, I did too. He says, well, look at Look out there. There's a 22. That's before he got sick and died. And uh, I said, well, I don't know, uh, Freddie. And evidently it's not. So our, we're, our whole thing is we're starting a campaign. We're starting and we're eventually going to go to people in the district or in the school that can make help us make the decision. But we definitely want to get his number retired. Oh, I think it ought to be. And that was the next question I was about to ask. What do you? How do you feel about that? About Roy Bruce mm -hmm. getting his number retired? In oh, White I think it'd be very appropriate. Absolutely. And there we have it. So you heard it yeah. from Mr. Cotton Miles. And uh, we would hopefully not this year because they've got homecoming and all that. Hopefully next year we can get and that. Hopefully, yeah, uh, we would like for you to be there. You know, if it, you know, if just if you came 10, 15 minutes and they retired it and then left, you know, if you could, if you're, you know, if you're feeling. Well, good. I, I certainly would be honored. We're gone. And we talked to Jerry, and he said he would, he wouldn't miss that either. He yeah. said he would love to be there as well. So, you know, that was a. But you know, I don't make plans on ranch. Oh, I know that. It's I just something in the future we have, but we wanted your input on it because yeah. we thought it was really important to hear what you thought, yeah. and well, that's I all we—that's all we needed to hear. Deserving yeah. and it ought to be. There you have it, Roughnecks, from from one of your own, <laughs> and you know, Cotton says it. It must be so. That's what my daddy <laughs> said. <laughs>
they had some good players. They went on were good college players. Well, we was playing up at Van as a year after Roy and his group graduated. I didn't. We didn't have many good players the next year, <laughs> and we scheduled Van. We went up there and, and in the third quarter we were ahead of them by one point, but in the third quarter we <laughs> we did something and got a penalty, and so that makes it first and twenty-five. On the next play, we never made another fifteen-yard penalty. That makes it, what, <laughs> first and 45? <laughs> Next play, 40. we got another 15-yard penalty, three straight. First and 55, then. Yeah, it made it first and 55. And by then, the crowd got real quiet, except Roy. <laughs> except Roy? <laughs> you can hear him all over the van. That's all right, Roughnecks, all we need is a little running room. <laughs> Uh, well, tell us about the grain door. About what? The grain door. The grain door? Yeah. What was behind the grain door? <laughs> Seems like that's a pepperelli deal. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I don't remember that story. Because every time you and Lou would come to town, y'all would start talking about their about the song, The Grain Door. Yeah. And I think there's a picture, I think it's in the 56 annual, Daddy was behind the grain door. Yeah, that's and they right. the song and he came out. Uh, part of the pep rally. Yeah. So I guess that was after the boat ride, y'all? Yeah, that yeah. was after the boat ride. How do I never knew about the boat? I don't know what changed, but after then, he's the best friend I had in White Oak. And it just happened just like that. There's something happening in that while we sitting in that boat, and I don't know what it was. When you were the coach at White Oak and at pep rallies, were you pretty involved? Did you get up and talk? Did you? Every time. He came back, and I believe it was at the 80, what at sometime in the mid-80s. He had, I think he had been retired a year or so, and he got up and gave a real good talk at the pep rally. I remember that. I wish that was on video somewhere, huh? Well, I mean, I made a point that everywhere I coast, that during the week they say there's two or three people I'm going to meet with, and they they seem to appreciate each day. The pep squad, the band, the drill team. After I got Dallas, had drill team. And I met with them every week and told them what a good bunch they were and that we were playing for them and how much better we could play it. They appreciate it. You know he's a great fisherman. Oh yeah. <laughs> Fish every lake in East Texas and I don't know where else. Yeah, he, he fished a lot. He, he, him and Bob Perry and Emil Hanicat were probably the three best bass fishermen I've ever heard of, been around. <laughs> Yeah, we caught a many of Of course, I always have a tender heart, place in my heart for White Oak. I got my start here. My wife and I love living in White Oak. Of course, we love living in Woodrow Wilson. The skyline we hit. I went to Skyline 
And at that time, it was one of the two or three biggest schools in the state of Texas. Mm. And uh, <laughs> I, I'll always wonder how it turned out if it hadn't been free integration. So do you think without the disqualifications, you would hold more state titles at White Oak as well? I know James has mentioned it as well. He said if you were never left or the, those disqualifications would never happen, he said you would, you, would, you would have many state titles for White Oak. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I do. He said he does. I can name six or possibly seven years that you would have had real good shots. I had one big vintage. High school was getting handsome. I worked for the Cowboys 34 years. Yeah, he did. And uh, in associating with uh, not Tom Landry so much, he didn't, we didn't sit around bull with him much, but with the, all the assistant coaches, we were able to stay up with the latest changes. And the game certainly has changed. It's not the same game now it was. No. Six, 60 years ago. Lots changed. Couldn't you just see Jerry Davis back there taking the snap and Roy Bruce being the own run, only running back and then having <laughs> Jimmy Cox and David Alexander and Freddie Sutton and some of them out running out? Yeah, that's what I'd be doing if I was still coaching because that's the trend. That's what the rest of them do. Did you ever run the wishbone? Oh, I'm running a little bit. <laughs> James, any last words? I just, I'm glad that I've got to spend this afternoon that we've got to, because uh, I've always loved Cotton. I've always been impressed by him. I always followed his time here and <laughs> when he left. And I think I told, uh, I was across the street when they were loading up leave over my granddaddy's and um, you know and just how much my daddy loved him and how much my family loved him and um, still do and how you know how much we look up to him for the things he stands for well I appreciate all that and it's been an honor um, learning White Oak history in the short six years I've been here and Learning a lot I didn't know about, and you know, having you on as that episode one, James said it was just you couldn't have couldn't have picked a better person. So we were just honored to have you, and I love you know being able to sit here and talk with you. And you know, uh, you're still is your episode one is still the most viewed podcast I've have out out of the four. So you know that tells you something. A lot of people liked hearing you talk, and um, but yeah, it's been a really awesome uh, experience. You know, getting to sit with you and talk with you and learn in the White Oak history that a lot of people may have not have heard or, you know, know about. So um, it's always well, I, great to hear the history. I like to talk about White Oak. It was our starting place. And uh, very honored to, to talk with you. And I do appreciate it. And I hope everyone out there um, gets to know a little bit about the history. Some of these people that maybe not have been in the community as long or younger people that don't know because it, like I said, it's first couple of years here. I was learning a lot, and I didn't know a lot. And uh, but yeah, I definitely uh, love hearing the history. And this man right here, boy, if I ever need anything, he knows knows the answer. So and he raves about you. He wasn't lying when he says he loves you. And you know, his, so it's it's always great to hear this side. And 
you know, get to see that smile uh, on his face. The only, only time I get aggravated at him is when he, he tells somebody to come see me about trophies. About what? Trophies. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm talking about. That man that came by y'all's house that time, <laughs> y'all wasn't wanting to mess with him. He said somebody was going to see me. He said, yeah, go on down there and see. He knows all about that. And that very day I ran into it. When well, that's funny. It's a good story how I happened to come here. I didn't know. Well, somebody told me you go to White Oak, I wouldn't know where to go. I was playing baseball in the old East Texas League. See, right after the war, this, everybody had a team. Gladewater, Kilgore, Longview, Henderson, Lufkin, all had teams in, in that league that year. It's Class B League. And I'd uh, sign with them, got out <laughs> Our last game at Stephen F. Austin, we played uh, Lufkin. Our lonely since Lee hadn't started in the spring, it was still in the spring. Then I hit a home run to that game. And the next day I signed was Lufkin. And so we played around over East Texas. And we were playing in Kilgore one night. And we played, when the game was over, this well-dressed guys and, and uh, well, the others, there was two of the short guys with him. And that was Dana Williams, who was superintendent of Atlanta. And uh, they said, we'd like to talk to you about a coaching job. At that time, I had already signed a coach down at, at uh, or a team right on the coast for $2,600 a year. So you were playing football, I mean, b baseball. You were offered a head coaching football job at another high school before White Oak? I was just assistant, going to be assistant. Assistant, okay. In football, basketball, and head baseball coach. That's what they, they offered me that night. And I said, well, I need to talk to my wife about it. I think she'll want to do what I want to do, but I'm not going to tell you. They said, well, can you bring her up in the morning? I said, we'll be there. That was on Saturday night, was playing. Well, I went back to Lufkin, got my wife, and we went to White Oak the next morning and met Dana Williams. When we left, I'd signed the contract. Hmm. He says, I can get you out of that contract. And they pay it off, or how do you think they did that? Oh, I think the superintendents were just friends, and they released me down. And besides, I got $3,100 up here. That's $500 more. Do you ever think when you signed that that looking back that uh, you would have had the career you had and are you oh, glad you picked White Oak and didn't go there? <laughs> no, but uh, it's been a good well, Brazosport, that's where I had already signed. Oh. I was going to be a junior high coach and make $2,600 a year and drive a bus. And when they offered me $3,100 up here, I got a big raise in a hurry. Now tell us what happened. How how did you become head coach? What who left and everything? Oh, well, Lee Mitchell. Lee Mitchell left. Lee Mitchell was at, at White Oak as head coach. I was assistant basketball and head baseball coach. But when he left to go to Gladewater, it, it, it was my second year. I got to be the head coach. 
pretty exciting. Sure. 24 years old, head coach. And then, and then you hired Moon Mullins, right? I hired Moon Mullins, yeah. who I'd been in the Navy with. Then he go into insurance cotton. Uh, he went into, first of all, selling sporting goods equipment. Okay. Out of CNS and four together, three. And he so started. I hired him as my line coach. He was started. that his first year coaching, or? No, he was scoring. He had finished a year behind me, and he had coached one year down South Texas somewhere. And he stayed till what, '56? Yeah, he stayed with me seven years. And then you hired Bailey Marshall. Yeah. Where did you find Bailey Marshall at? Gladewater. Gladewater. Well, Bailey, I'd uh, he had played at Stephen F. Austin, and I'd recommended him at Gladewater. Hmm. And then Bailey took his place and was here five or six years and he was took, was principal for uh, I want to say two years and then he left and went down to Is, is Gilbert still a superintendent here? No sir, Gilbert retired. He did? Yeah. But I see him all the time. I see him walking and I, talk, I speak to him and talk well, to him. Be darn. They named the science building after science him. Science building up here. Gilbert, he coached it. He, he was a coach at Will Point. Yeah, James told me that uh, you hired him there, and then he ended up coming to White Oak, yeah. which was no, a pretty he, cool. He went to Spring Hill. Uh -huh. Gene King hired him to Spring Hill. Uh -huh. and then he came here, then he went back to Spring Hill, then he came here as superintendent. But started with coaching Will's Point. That's pretty cool. He's got a picture. Uh, he had a picture in his office taken of him and Gene King and Cotton together when they had the, when they celebrated their fiftieth uh, reunion of winning the state championship up there one night. Any last words, Coach? Any last words, James? Yeah. Oh. I know Scotty's over there, probably. Scotty might be ready. But we uh, we do appreciate we it, Coach. We sure do. It's been it's been real fun. Me and James were really looking forward to it. Yeah. And part two with Coach and uh, Coach. Yeah, thank sure. you so much for coming down and. Uh, making the trip to White Oak. Coach did come to White Oak, so that was an honor to have you back here and um, hope you enjoyed it. And um, part two is in the wraps. Thank you very much. Yes, sir. Roll, Roughnecks, roll.